What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. Today you're going to hear from James. He's a young man who lives in England And he has quite a scary story about something that happened to him one day at work in 2019. He and his partner were cutting down a huge tree, and things did not go as planned. I'll let James fill in the details. And after he tells you what happened that day, stick around for a few more things. There's a podcast I want to tell you about, and you can now sign up for my email newsletter, And Raw Audio Episode 4 is live with more 911 audio. And now, here's my conversation with James. How many trees would you say you've actually taken down in your career? Uh, Probably somewhere in the region of 75 to 100 trees. Um, So I went and did a few courses first before you can chop them down on a golf course. You have to go and do... Well, you have to go get your tickets. So I did the CS30, 31 and 32, I think, which is the maintenance of the saw and learning to just chop wood on the floor, cross-cutting, and then learning to chop trees down that were up to 380 millimetres across in diameter. Uh, And then the next one was over 380, so 380 plus. And that one taught you sort of the use of wedges and the use of a winch to take them down. So, yeah, each one would kind of build on the previous one. And CS, I assume, stands for chainsaw. Uh, I'm not too sure, to be honest with you, but, I mean, it would make sense. I guess so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This, what we're going to talk about today, took place in a a golf club in Preston, England, called Leyland Golf Club. How big is this? Is it? I mean, here in the U.S., we have what are called country clubs, and they're just huge. What's this club like? Uh, I mean, I think we've got somewhere five, seven hundred members, something around there. So, I mean, we're fairly big. We've got a clubhouse. We've got, you know, a dining area and a bar and a full 18-hole club. But it's sort of um, an inland parkland sort of members club, 18 holes. Was tree removal your primary job there? Is that what you did most days? It wasn't. No, I'm a, I'm a greenkeeper. So I sort of look after the ground. I do the mowing, the fertilizing, the taking care of everything. But um, my deputy was Charlie. He took down the trees, but he was sort of getting on a little bit and he wanted to sort of take a step back. So they decided to train me up. Uh, that's when I went on the courses and I started chopping trees with Charlie. And then I realized that I wanted to chop even bigger trees. So I went and did my next course, which was over 380. And then we kind of just took them out mostly in winter um, as to not disturb the golf too much. But yeah, it just became part of my job. That, that makes sense. So Charlie was the main one for taking down trees, but then you found that, uh, hey, this is kind of fun. So you wanted to kind of move ahead with it then. Yeah. So he sort of became, he sort of looked after me and mentored me and sort of watched to make sure I was doing things that I should be doing. And I sort of did the work and got the practice. 
you know what I'm wondering about on a golf course, it seems like, you know, when you have a golf course, all the holes are already laid out. Everything is kind of where it's supposed to be. What situation would come up where you have to take a tree down? Uh, well, usually it's either due to shade or um, air movement across the green. So if you've got a green that's just surrounded by trees, it doesn't get that sunlight, so it's not growing very well, and it doesn't get that air movement across the surface, so the microbiology starts to go downhill. So really, you want you want to sort of clear trees around green so they dry out and the air moves across them. But in this case, it was just a row of leylandi, which are like conifers. They were a bit unsightly. They weren't a native tree, so we just decided that we were going to take them out okay well let's talk about what happened that day this was a particular tree what kind of tree was this and and how big was it it was a leylandi which is just a conifer basically a big tall conifer it was about between 30 and 35 foot tall probably about three and a half ton i think it was uh 380 mil across in diameter on the trunk so it was a it was a fair old tree when you say 30 35 feet i mean that's a three-story building so that's a that's a big big tree. And did you say three and a half tons? Yeah, there or thereabouts. Yeah. And you were working with Charlie that day. Yes. Um, so I got there in the morning, and we had our brew, and we got dressed to be put on our chainsaw pants and our boots and our helmet and gloves. Um, and then I went and sharpened my saw up to make sure it was it was ready for the day. And then uh, I guess we went to the site. So it was the 28th of January, 2019. It was a Monday. It was about minus four, I think, in the morning. Um, But it was sunny. It was nice. The day was coming round. Minus four Celsius? Yeah, sorry, minus four Celsius, yeah. I know Fahrenheit because I'm I'm just a dumb American, but... (laughs) I guess probably would be like uh, like 25 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. Roughly, yeah, something around there. Yeah, a a cold winter day. Okay. It it was chilly, yeah. But the pants are quite heavy and the boots and everything you have on. And when you start working, you get pretty warm. So I wasn't, I think I was wearing my thermals and then t-shirt, jumper, and just a hoodie over the top. Do you have to sharpen your chainsaw every day? Not every day. It depends what you're cutting through. So Leyland eyes are quite, they've got sap in them and they make your your saw go quite blunt quite quick. So um, I use make sure that it's actually sharpen it in the morning and sharpen it again at dinner time if I need to. So you're approaching this huge tree. How do you plan or how do you strategize on where to make it fall? And because I, I know this is a, this is a, can be a pretty exact science. I mean, I've seen some videos where, you know, some professional tree removal team is taking down a tree, a big tree in a populated neighborhood and they have to aim it and have it come down like right between two houses and it goes right where they right where they want it to but then i've seen other videos where it didn't quite happen that way and it comes down and splits a house in two so (laughs) obviously there's there's a lot of planning ahead of time that goes into this right there is yes so we went and had a look at it first me my boss and my deputy and we decided we were going to cordon off the fairway so there wasn't golfers walking past or any any sort of danger from them because you wouldn't want the tree to fall on someone. You wouldn't, no. No, the last thing you want. So, yeah, we decided which way we wanted it to go because to the left of us was the green, so we didn't want to drop it on the green. So we decided to take it straight out across the fairway. Um, so we decided on all that and what we are going to do and how we were going to do it, and then he sort of left us to it. And we went over to it and we marked it up. So we decided where we were going to put the gob cut, which is like the triangle piece of wood that you take out at the front 
which is that determines which way it's going to go. So you sort of line that up with the direction you want the tree to fall. So we did that and took that out. Um, oh, just before there was another one of my work colleagues, Guy, he was coming to help us sort of take the branches away um, and help us clear up after we chopped it down. So he just nipped back to the shed to get his helmet and then he was coming back to give us a hand moving all the branches. So he set off, me and Charlie started chopping the tree down. We did the gob cut, we did the back cut um, and we used wedges. So a wedge is just like a, looks like a piece, like a block of cheese, I guess, like a triangle shaped piece of cheese, but it's made out of metal and you hit it into the back cut with a sledgehammer and it sort of lifts the tree up and, and leans it over the hinge, which makes it fall over. So we were pretty used to this. We got them and I practiced with them and we did it quite a bit. We took quite a lot of trees out with them. So I was used to using them and so was Charlie. So we did that and we started hitting the wedges in. Obviously the chainsaw was turned off and by the side of me at this point, we'd taken our ear defenders off so we could hear the tree cracking. When it starts to fall, it starts to crack, the hinge starts to split. So we were listening for that and we kept whacking the wedges in and it started cracking and we thought, there it goes. So we started to walk off to the left of us um and we were walking away and we were chatting i don't remember what we were saying but i think we were talking about something and then i remember i remember him saying with panic that um oh shit or oh look or something like that something that got my attention and i turned around and it was just dark i didn't really get what was going on um and then about a second later yeah the, the tree hit us so you turned around and all you you said it went dark because this tree was so huge Mm. And took up, it covered a bunch of, you know, most of the sky as you're looking up and you just see it coming toward you. Yeah, because behind us at the time was the sun that was rising. So it was, it was light. And I remember turning around and thinking the sun wasn't there. I didn't really get what was going on. And then there was, I mean, it's quite, when I chop a tree down, it doesn't usually sound that loud. But when you're in the middle of it, it's, it's loud. You can hear the branches sort of coming into the floor and and the thud of the trunk hitting the ground. And it was, it was pretty loud. So you knew it was falling and you weren't watching it. So, and it just fell in a, in a completely different direction than what you expected it to fall. It fell pretty much 90 degrees to where we had aimed it. Do you know now, after the fact, why it fell that way? Not really. I mean, some people have their side and other people have different opinions. I mean, we, there's no one that's really come to any massive conclusion apart from the fact that it was an accident. A, a tree that big does what it wants to do, I guess. I mean, yeah, gravity just took it where it wanted to go. I mean, I don't remember much about it hitting me, but I remember the next thing I remember, I was sort of led in a cocoon of branches sort of right in the middle of the tree um the trunk was about two three foot to the left of me something i've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more there are lots of books i want to read and i try to read every day even if it's just a few pages a little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference it's like taking care of your gut even though it's not big it supports the health of your whole body Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. 
And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV, and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Um, I remember calling out to Charlie and he was sort of two, three foot on the other side of the trunk. But fortunately, I didn't know this at the time, but there was a mound next to the green that the tree had hit, which meant that the trunk didn't go all the way down to the floor. And I think if it had have gone all the way down to the floor, it would have been game over. Right. Yeah. Because so it fell kind of in between the two of you. It fell in between the two of us. Yeah. But the end of it hit a, a. I mean, it wasn't a big mound, but it was substantial enough for the trunk not to actually reach the floor. It was raised slightly. And if you were just two or three feet from where the trunk was, obviously the the largest branches are closest to the trunk. So you got hit by some pretty big pieces of wood. Yeah. It. it it flattened me, so my feet sort of slipped out in front of me, and my, it hit the back of my head and folded my head towards my toes and then just, like, crushed me in half. And then I bounced back, and I remember sort of lying down, and I had a tree around me. Obviously, I was quite a long way from the outside of the tree at this point. And then and then I guess the, I had that little moment where your adrenaline's pumping and you're thinking, I was just thinking that was crazy. Like I was trying to work out what had happened. And then, and then the pain kicked in, and it was it was some serious pain. I'd I'd say it was yeah, I probably had maybe a couple of seconds where I was just working stuff out and trying to figure out what had gone on, and then it, I just got over overcome by pain. So, I mean, not much was going through my head at first. I was just sort of screaming, and and Chazza was um, Charlie was speaking to me, and he was saying that you know I want you to breathe and calm down, just take some deep breaths, and we're going to be all right. We're going to work through it. I mean, I think without him initially, I wouldn't have done as well as I did. 
so he sort of brought my breathing back down and calmed me down and we were just talking and he was trying to have a little bit of a laugh at me and keep me going so I was led in this tree in the cocoon and I couldn't move. I had, um, I eventually managed to grab hold of a branch above me with my arms and pull myself backwards and sort of lie myself up a little bit. So I was comfier. Um, and Charlie rung my boss, Scott, and told him what had happened and that we need rescuing. So then he got in touch with the ambulance and the fire and told them to come down and we had to wait for them. I think I was there two hours until they had me in an ambulance. So you were you were on the ground under the tree for two hours. Yeah, yeah. So guy um, was on his way back. So he eventually arrived. I mean, not eventually. I mean, it took him a couple of minutes. He was running. So he he turned up, uh, and he was training first aid. So he was sort of trying to keep me talking, but I was finding it hard to breathe because of the pain in my back. So we ended up. I was just speaking to Charlie, and then Charlie was telling Guy that I was okay. So we did that for a little bit until the ambulance and the fire brigade turned up and they were sort of then talking to us and keeping us going. And my boss came over to me and asked me if I wanted to ring my mum. And I, I said no, because uh, she's, she's a worrier, bless her. And I thought she won't be able to do anything. I was I was stuck there until somebody got me out. So I waited until I sort of got to hospital until people started arriving to see me. It took them. It took them ages. To be fair, the fire brigade turned up and they had like a an electric saw, just like a little one, and they started sawing away at the branches and pulling them to the side and stacking them up and getting them out of the way so they could get to me. But yeah, it took them took them a long time to get to me because they came to me first because I said that my back was sore. And Charlie, <laughs> I remember lying there under the tree and we were asking each other what sort of pain we were feeling. I said my back was ruined and I asked him what was wrong with him. And he said, I think I've broke my leg. And I remember thinking, you lucky git. I thought he'd done really well out of it. But I mean, as we get further on the story, I'll explain he, he didn't do so well. When the tree was removed, could you move or did they tell you just to stay still and they moved you? I mean, they told me to stay still and not move, but I mean, I couldn't move anyway. There was there was no way I was moving. It was so painful. They got hold of a branch. When they eventually got to me, there was a branch that was underneath my back. And I remember him pulling that branch out and that, that hurt quite a lot. So they eventually got in with the spinal board and they sort of slid me out onto the spinal board, strapped me up in a spider brace, put me in a head brace and they lifted me up and took me to the ambulance and sort of tended to me in there. So I had quite a substantial compression fracture to my lower my second lower vertebrae in my spine and three knackered ligaments and tendons in my ankle as well so you, it wasn't just your spine your ankle was was yeah my ankle i didn't realize at the time and i, I didn't notice for a while that my ankle was busted up but yeah when they uh tried to take my boot off and it wasn't coming off that's when they sort of realized that it was larger than it should be so they started giving me gas and air um, when I got into the ambulance to try and get rid of the pain, but it wasn't touching it and I couldn't take a big enough breath to, for it to have any effect. So they plugged an IV line in and started giving me morphine. I think they gave me somewhere like five shots. So by the time I'd arrived at hospital, I was, I was, I was all right. I feel like I wasn't feeling much pain anymore. And they said they wanted, they started cutting my clothes off in the ambulance on the way there and <laughs> I remember them saying they wanted to cut my braces off, but I'd only just got them for Christmas. So I asked if I could keep them, and they said that if I could take them off myself, then go wild. So I did. What are your braces when you say? Can you describe that? Sorry, yeah, they fastened to sort of the back of my pants, come over my shoulders, and fastened to the front of my pants just to hold my pants up. Um, but it was just 
funny I just wanted to keep them because I'd only just got them so I asked him if I could keep them and they let me and then I asked him if I could take my phone out and get a selfie and let people know what was going on and he said that was all right as well so I managed to take a selfie in the ambulance on the way there and we'll post that picture on the website for this episode for people that want yes. to see that yep that's fine and then yeah so they gave me the morphine and I was I was all right by the time I got to hospital I wasn't I it was still sore but it it wasn't agony so they wheeled me in and not long after I think Charlie came but his um the ambulance for him drove on the grass and on the way out it it thawed and it got stuck so I remember him telling me that everyone at work had to push the ambulance out of the grass which was quite amusing but we were we were both all right by the time we got to hospital because we'd both been fed morphine so he was in the room next to me with like a, a sliding partition so we were chatting and sort of keeping each other going again and he was keeping me going and then that was then they sort of um took me down to proper ward the neurological ward and that's where i sort of stayed until my operation and what was the procedure in the operation what were they going to do um well originally they weren't going to do anything because when when i first got there they said to my mum and whenever everyone arrived they said that they cleared my spine and it wasn't a problem and uh they said they were going to put me in a back brace and send me home um and i remember saying unless they were sending me on with the bed, I don't think I was going to make it because I couldn't get out of it. Um, and he started prodding down my back to check what was going on and I yelped when he pressed the one that hurt. So they sent me for a CT scan and that's when they saw what what was what was going on with my back. So that's when they decided they were going to have to keep me in and took me to the neuro ward. And I was going to have my operation on Tuesday, which was the following day, but I couldn't, unfortunately, because... They wanted a special surgeon from Manchester to come and do it, but he wasn't available till Wednesday. So I had to wait and I wasn't allowed to have anything to eat on Monday night because they said that my op was on Tuesday morning. Um, and then they said that I couldn't have anything to eat Tuesday either because my op was going to be on Wednesday. So I think I ate a slice of toast and an apple in like two, three days. You know what I, what would, what would be ironic is if the surgeon was delayed because he was on a golf trip. Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> he was out golfing enjoying himself <laughs> right <laughs> no I, I think he was doing something in manchester i'm not too sure but he came down on wednesday anyway and the um the wheeled me down so oh i had to go for an mri scan before that sorry so the doctor couldn't do it the surgeon couldn't do it without an mri so that was another nightmare that we had what had happened was as it had the tree had folded me over it forced one of my vertebrae to go flat and the rest of it sort of oozed out the back and it nipped my spinal canal like where all the nerves run between the vertebrae and the back plate so my surgeon was saying if that severed then i i mean i wouldn't be it well i would but they said that my legs would be of no use to me um so i was i wasn't far i'll send you the picture of that and then people can have a look but it was it was pretty close to severing it completely um, so they sent me for an MRI and they wheeled me down there and I don't know whether you know they, they move you across so when they need to take you somewhere they come and they sort of get hold of your bed sheet and they put like a plastic panel between the bed that you're on and the bed that they push you around the hospital on and they grab hold of the bed sheet and pull you across onto this other bed and then they can take you wherever you need to go so they were doing that and um, I got to the MRI place and there's no cushioning it's just plastic um, the board that you have to go in the MRI scanner on so they were pulling me across, and I'd say it was only like a half an inch drop between the wooden board, well, the plastic board I was sliding on and the MRI, but it was it was the knock, the bang, um, when I dropped onto the MRI, half an inch, but it 
moved the bone slightly further in. So I remember going back to my room after that and I had my doctor come up and I said to him, there was skin bubbling up around my left knee. <laughs> I remember saying, this isn't good. What's going on? And he sort of explained to me that there was nothing he could do until my surgeon got there and I'd have to just basically lie very still through that night and if my leg was still working by the next morning then they would go ahead and do the op so I didn't sleep I didn't move I didn't do anything that night I just led there um and prayed that my leg still work in the morning so I could go for the op so there was a there was a danger did they ever think that you you may not walk again they did yeah I mean they didn't say it directly to me my surgeon was quite um well the doctor the pre-op man um was pretty promising he, he, he said you can not have the op um and he said it's very unlikely you'll ever walk again he said you know it'll be three months at least in hospital and we're, we're not sure it ever works so uh and then they said you could go for the op and they told me that they've done lots of them and that you know i would be all right type of thing but they told my mum later on that it was a 50 50 but yeah the op involved so it was seven hours i was in operation for in total and they took me down and they gave me ketamine for my op, which was a new experience for me. What What is that? Ketamine, it's a horse tranquilizer, but they use it for um, sort of pain subduance in hospital. Because I'd been on morphine, um, I'd been on the Oromorph and it wasn't, it wasn't really doing much. Um, so I asked him, I said, you best be giving me something better than morphine. Because I said, I've already been taking that and it's not done much. And they said it was going to be ketamine. So and I never had anything like that. So that was a new experience for me. Anyway, I, I went down to the waiting area. I remember asking the nurse, how did the operation go? And we'd not even been in for it yet. So she was having a laugh at me. And we, they wheeled me in and did the off. And I was unconscious at this point. But from what I'm aware, they, they've they got nine scars on my back. So they went in with keyhole. And the piece of the vertebrae that was nipping the back plate, they cut that off with like a surgical cutter. And then the wings on the side of the vertebrae, they drilled into them and they put screws in. Um, so I've got eight screws and then they put two bars in, two metal bars on either side. So I think the screws are titanium, the bars are steel, I think. But they put them in and then they sealed me all back up and that's what I've got now. That's what I'll always have. So, so you will activate some metal detectors when you go through the airport? I will, yes. I do now beep when I go through security. <laughs> And and how did how did Charlie end up? He completely shattered his fib and his tip, his yeah fibula and tibula in his leg. So his shin was just gone. I think it was in something like twenty five pieces. So when he originally arrived at hospital, they just said to him, "There's nothing we can do. We're going to have to amputate it. It's going." And a doctor again from Manchester, he had a look at it, and I think he came down and he said, "You know, we'll we'll give it a go." So they did. And I think he's had seven or eight operations. He's lost count, but um, he's had a lot. And they basically screwed it back together. They put a big framework on his leg um, and a lot of rods and pins that went through his leg with like screws on them. And every sort of couple of days, he'd come round and tighten them and it would force the bones back together. But yeah, he's going in for an operation, I think in a couple of weeks to have the last two screws taken out of his knee and then he's metal free. And he's walking? He is walking, yeah, but he took a lot longer than me. I think he was he was in hospital for maybe a couple of months, maybe. Um, so his recovery was, was considerably slower than mine. I was, um, I was out in a week. It sounds like based on 
where you guys were standing and where the tree fell that both of you got pretty lucky in this. I think we got amazingly lucky, yeah. I mean, if we'd been two foot the other way or if the tree had fallen two foot the other way or if the trunk had actually hit the floor and not hit the mound, I think it could have played out a lot different. You're still uh, having ongoing treatment? Yes. So, I mean, after my op, I, I came out and I was all right then. And then the second day was when I really started getting a lot of pain. I started having spasms. My body started rejecting, I think, what was put in. So I started having full body spasms. I would just grip hold of the bed and scream. And I remember my next door neighbor, Robert, he was an old fella. He was lovely. Um, and he went and called the nurses and said, I think the boy next to me is dying because I was just having such bad spasms. But that died off towards the afternoon the next day. And I remember the physios coming round, and they said to me that they were going to get me up and I didn't believe them. But I wanted to get up so drastically because I've been letting, uh, I'm a very active person. I love the outdoors. I love going and doing things and being outside. And it was killing me just lying in a hospital bed, not being able to move or do anything. So I said, let's go for it. So they put me on my side and rocked me up and, they went through the process of helping me stand up and I did and I think I took a step maybe two and I just put my head out the window and breathed breathed my first bit of fresh air in three days so that was nice and then the next day I got out and I walked to the door and back and I think they sort of helped me and I walked over to the door and turned around and walked back by myself um, and recorded it on my phone so I've still got the recording on my phone of my first steps learning how to walk again and then, yeah, I just I kept going. So I just kept walking further and further every day. And Saturday and Sunday, um, I managed to get out of bed and go for a walk by myself. And obviously all my friends and family and everyone was coming down seeing me and helping me walk and bringing me chocolates and things to drink. So that was nice. And then, yeah, by the uh, Saturday, Sunday, I was walking by myself. Monday, I came home. And I didn't really do much. I spent a lot of time in bed just relaxing and help letting it heal and whatnot. And then I got my walking stick and off I went, trying to walk every day. And I'd, I'd walk around the roundabout and then I'd walk to the next roundabout. And once I'd started walking and getting in cars, and obviously my dad was driving me about at the time, but I had to go to physio at the hospital. And I remember they, them saying to me the first first time I got there, I wanted to know if I could. I, I showed jump. I used to ride horses when I was younger. I mean, I still sort of do, but not as much. But they said to me that I wouldn't ride a horse again. They said, no, we don't think you'll do it. So immediately that twigged in my head. I was like, right, I've got to get back on an horse. So I built myself up and I went and bought myself a back protector and got all, the, got all my gear back out. And I've had a horse for about 11 years, so I trust her. And I got back on and I did it. And... I don't know. It was just a, a good little feeling when someone says that I'd never do anything. Well, never do that again. And you go you and got to it. prove them wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I've, so, yeah. And I guess now I'm, I mean, I'm still at physio about once a month at the moment. And it's still, it's never going to be quite the same. You know, when you wake up and you're stiff in the morning and you want to put your socks on and you're all, you can't quite reach it because your back won't bend far enough. And, you know, just little things like, I mean, my ankle's not great either. If I step on, if I'm walking on grass and I step on a bit of uneven ground, it, it tends to give up on me because the tendons are now longer than they should be. So it's not got that. It doesn't hold itself. It'll just go. What was your age when this happened? How old were you? 
I was 23. Um, my 24th birthday was on the 24th of February, so I missed out on that one as well. So it seems like you, you benefited from your youth and your body was able yes. to bounce back and get back to walking and everything quicker than uh, maybe a, a person that was older. Yeah, so I, I mean, it wasn't easy, but I wanted to go and do it. So I forced myself to get out of bed every morning, go downstairs. I mean, at first people had to help me do things, but I gradually sort of managed to do my own thing. And then, I mean, I've um, done quite a lot recently. I've, I've obviously started walking and walking further every day. So me and my friend Dan, who was... I think he was there every day when I was in the hospital helping me out and doing anything that I needed doing. And we just walked up Snowden the other week. So I'm doing all right. I mean, I get my days when I've done too much. Like after Snowden, I was tired and it was a little bit sore, but I just have a day's rest and it comes around and then we go again. Have you gone back to tree removal? I have. Yes, pretty much. I had six months off after my accident to recover and get myself back to I mean, I went to the gym and tried to build myself up, ready to go back to work, and so I did. And I said to my boss that I wanted to go and do it, and he wasn't overly keen, but he let me. So I went out with a pole saw, which is basically just a 15-foot chainsaw, and I started chopping little limbs off and just getting the feel for it again. And then, yeah, I went and picked up my proper chainsaw and i've taken nothing major i'm not chopping anything big out anymore um, and i'm definitely watching where it's going but i have chopped a few smaller trees out i i would imagine after after what happened you probably keep a pretty good eye on uh, which direction the tree's going to fall oh yeah i mean i usually walk as far away as i can and keep an eye on it all right just a few things before we head out the door First up, check out this podcast from my friend Tyler. It's a true crime podcast called Minds of Madness. 911, what's your emergency? Every 60 seconds, a person is murdered somewhere in the world. There was a shootout in my house. I can't believe it. What causes ordinary people to do unthinkable things? He stabbed me in my neck. And he says, look how easily I could kill you. The Minds of Madness is a true crime podcast that examines the most disturbing criminal minds. We shed a light on the devastating impact these violent crimes have on the victims and their families. When you get calls in the night, you know they're not good or they're wrong numbers. You'll hear about the incredible strength of the survivors and what they did to fight back. I was studying his face because I was thinking, if I get out of this, I'm going to get you someday. Subscribe to the Minds of Madness podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. So check that out and let me know what you think of it. And I'm starting something new. I'm sending out an email newsletter. You can sign up for it, and it's free, of course, at whatwasthatlike.com slash email. The email will go out on the day a new episode is released, so you can see what that episode is about. And I'll be including some other interesting things I happen to come across, stuff I don't talk about here on the podcast. So get on that list, and you won't miss anything. 
You can also sign up by going to the website and clicking on email. And finally, Raw Audio Episode 4 is now live. The Raw Audio Episodes are actual 911 calls and the stories that go with them. In this episode, we hear from a man who shot his wife and then two days later, he calls 911 to say that she's still alive. On the 4th, which would have been two nights ago at 4 a.m., um, I shot my wife in the temple of her head. I thought I killed her. And um, I put her in the freezer. We'll hear the call made by a lady in Ohio who's panicking because she has a boa constrictor on her face. Hello? I had a boa constrictor stuck to my... My face. Ma'am, you have a what? And we'll hear the 911 audio from a man who called to report some kids playing near a local railroad track, and then the real emergency happens while he's on the phone. Are they okay, sir? No, I think someone's screaming. Oh, no. The raw audio episodes are available as exclusive bonus content. And you can have those episodes come into your phone or however you listen to podcasts automatically just by being a supporter of this podcast for $5 a month. So if you want to get all the past and future raw audio episodes, you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com support. And I thank you for supporting the show. I've got some great stories in the works here at What Was That Like? And the next one will be out in two weeks. See you then.